Our passage of scripture this evening is Romans chapter 12, and I'll be reading verses 2 and 3. Romans 12, verses 2 and 3. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, to not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dwelt, dealt to each one a measure of faith. One of the great differences between a true godly Christian and a person of the world is that we think. Now the world will tell us, and atheists say this all the time, we're the ones that are thinking, we're the ones that are, are uh, 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 the intelligent ones, we're the educated ones. But scripture tells us that the atheist is a fool and the people of the world are following uh, the prince of darkness. They're part of that group and we are the ones who are thinking and we are to be thinkers. And this scripture, uh, part of it, do not be conformed to the world. I remember a long time ago as a young person, I had a t-shirt that had that verse on it, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And on that t-shirt, there was a picture of a Christian fish, that typical picture that sometimes on bumper stickers on the back of cars, stuff like that. That fish was going one way, and all the other fish were going the other way, and it said, go against the flow. And later, you know, sometime later, and I've never found out who the first, you know, it was one of the Puritans, I think, who wrote, uh, live fish swim upstream. It's the dead ones who go with it. And that's what we do. And that's what this passage tells us to do. My first point tonight is do not be conformed to this world. That's what Paul says here. And do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2. And it's interesting here, the word world here is not the, the same word that we used this morning when Jesus was saying the world hates me. Uh, it, that word is cosmos. Uh, this one is the Greek word for age, uh, like this present age. And he's saying, do not be conformed to this. And I believe because scripture is timeless, it applies to every age. <laughs> do not be conformed to the age, to the, to the uh, particular sins of this age this, that this world has. And we do have certain sins in our age that we, we as Christians are not to conform to. Realize... Point, small point number one under this point. Realize this is our ungodly world's aim and goal, our conformity to their immoral and ungodly beliefs and ways. The world is always pressing on us to conform to their standards, not God's standards. 
we see this even in the Old Testament. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, before I believe he became a believer, at least in some sense, but before that, uh, he made an image of gold according to the dream that he had, and uh, he wanted everybody to bow down to it. And how does he accomplish that conformity? Well, it says, verse 5 of Daniel 3, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery in sympathy with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Music would play. Beautiful music, I'm sure of it. All these different instruments, it would sound so nice. And it's almost like entertainment to get you to bow. That's the start of it. Uh, But if you don't bow, uh, then what happens? If you refuse to bow, nonconformity, you'll die a hot, painful death. It says in Daniel 3, 5, and 6, Uh, I mean, verse 6, that was verse 5 I already read. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And that's how an ungodly world works. Either by peer pressure, your friends are saying, this is the cool thing to do. It's it's the, the, the thing that's in. It's the thing that we believe now is true. Uh, and there's music playing and all that. But if you resist that, the temptation part of it, then the trial and the, the hard part of it comes. Uh, Satan doesn't get you with his temptation. He's going to try to squash you with his boots. And we see, you know, Daniel... Uh, in that case, it wasn't Daniel. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into that fire. God protected them in the midst of that fire. And he will be with us. You remember there are four. One of them was Jesus. Jesus will be with us in all our trials. That doesn't mean we won't go through them. But what's the worst thing? We could be killed and go right to heaven. Uh, God is with us. We have similar things happening in our world today. Back in the early 1980s, a woman named Rosemary Radford Ruther, and I've, I've told you about this, her before, she's a radical feminist theologian, wrote a book called Sexism and God Talk. In the book, she speaks about biblical Christian themes like the Bible, God, Jesus Christ, man, woman, God's image. She also speaks of inspiration and truth. Uh, and yet she speaks of these as a non-believer, as somebody that's outside. Uh, and in order to understand her, you have to understand one of the early statements she makes in this book, and that is, I have it in your notes, Scripture and tradition are themselves codified collective human experience. Think about that. Are you thinking about it? The scripture is codified and and tradition are, are codified collective human experience. So according to that statement, was this Bible given to us by God? No. It was something that men put together. And as a feminist, radical feminist theologian, she says, men did it. 
Not just, not women made the Bible, men made the Bible, and, and why? To control men. That's, they, they all got together, and this was the purpose. God had nothing to do with it. In fact, a God in heaven, she would say, is a false idol. Uh, because not because it's any more false than anything else. In, according to her, there was no nothing that's really true. And in some ways, she does not argue with this. Uh, she admires that they can make up such a god, and she, they could use it to control women and control uh, people that were under them. And that's the whole idea. I think today we got patriarchy. She, she was one of the first people I read long before it became popular. Instead of, you know, we who call ourselves Christians, she called Christians who believe the Bible patriarchy because we believe this scripture that was written by men in order to subjugate women. And that's the whole purpose of the book. So if we believe it, we're not really Christians because she had a whole different view of Christ as a feminist. Christ would bow to Mary Magdalene, and, and she was really the starter of the church and that kind of stuff. Which, when you look at it, you know, we have all kinds of books nowadays, or books and movies, like the, that one movie, I can't even think of the guy who wrote it about um, Mary Magdalene and Jesus being married. And, and, and they said, you know, it's a fictional book, but it's based on historical truth. Uh, the the uh, the thing it, it's it's used that, but they they thought that the Bible was just like Nebuchadnezzar's statue, and it was used that way. And so, what do we do? Do we wipe it out? No, they say we make our own idols, our feminists, whatever is uh, whatever is feminist and, and promotes our agenda. She said, that's truth. That's something. And so inspiration would become anything which a powerful group can, can make the other people believe. And so um, she wrote a lot of books about global warming and cri- uh, climate change and ecofeminism. And not as somebody who was a scientist, she was a theologian. But she wrote these books because Mother Earth was going to be her, our new God. Uh, not a God in heaven, but a God under our feet. Not a God who made rules, but a God that we need to care for. And now, now it's such a big thing. At the time, I remember, we, you, you hardly ever heard of these kind of things. Now it's part of our government. And so the Bible says... God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing uh, that moves on the earth. Notice some of the things that, that's, that those verses I just read said. We are created in God's image. And other passages, I've mentioned them, Colossians 3.10, Ephesians 4.24, uh, tell us what that image was. We were created in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness in the image of God. 
this is opposed by evolution that says, no, we evolved from ape-like creatures. And so uh, is that true or is God's word true? Well, God's word is true and we're created in God's image. We didn't evolve by time and chance from ape-like creatures. And yet this is opposed by transgenderism, which agrees with evolution. We are not created by any God and God does not exist. And therefore we are, are not male and female by design. In fact, not even human by design. We can create our own image. If there's no designer, there's no design, is there, John? If there's no designer, how can there be a design? And that's where the logical thing, you think of evolution, it becomes transgenderism eventually, and it becomes where now children in school are, are pretending to be cats and dogs, and the teachers are encouraging it. And so, so we have that. And it's all rooted in this. There's no design. We can be whatever we want to be. And it's, it's thinking. It's one way of thinking. If you start with, we're created by God in his image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and that's what you really believe, you're not going to start thinking that you're an animal or that there's no difference between a male or a female or that you can choose those things. But if you start with evolution and there's no... There's no designer. If there's no designer, then there's no design. It's all accidental. Then you can say, I will be whatever I want to be. And you can't stop me. And that's where we've gone. We, we've fought with, we fought with scripture. Even look at this. It says, you shall have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And what does global warming say? No, you should not have dominion. You need to bow down to these things. And I'm not saying we need to destroy these things. Dominion doesn't mean you destroy them. Dominion means you can take care of them. But dominion does, does also mean we can build a house or we can build a factory or we can build a car. And we can do all these things because God gave us these abilities. It doesn't mean we have to bow down and say uh, we need to... to uh, uh, not do the things that we would, that we are able to do. The global warming, climate change, worship Mother Earth religion was made up to contradict uh, how we were to to uh, have dominion over the earth. And they don't even like the idea. If you read uh, uh, Rosemary Radford Ruther, uh at least in that sexism and dog uh, uh, God God. God talk book. God talk is because there's not really a God. It's just God talk. Uh, she, she talks about farming in rows and how that was wrong because we were showing dominion over the earth. Now, I actually read some of, uh, parts of her eco-feminism books, and she kind of backs off on the farming by row in those because you know, she doesn't want to totally turn everybody off from her. But in her original book, she says you can't even farm by rows. You, you have to be people that are, are out in the woods picking the food that you can pick or hunting with your hands because uh, a gun isn't fair against an animal. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's that, and that's why they say today, now they're saying we should eat insects. We shouldn't raise cows. It's all part of the same religion. And, you know, the movie Avatar... 
because she says anything that can, can communicate a vision, that's scripture. And the movie Avatar, I don't know if have you, any of you seen that movie? You're probably, yeah, just Bill. In there, in the movie, there's these blue, they're blue humans. You could say they're like humans, except they're not, none of them are, are fat like me. They're all really thin and athletic and have more feminine, even the males have more feminine features without necessarily being feminine. Um, they never need to go to the bathroom. And they live out in the woods and they never have any insects bite them. And they worship a tree in the middle of the forest. And they are in the movie predict, shown to be the good guys. They're, they're the, the, the good ones. And then the bad guys are the ones who come in there. They want to cut down the trees and build a, a place in, in this area. Because supposedly they ruined their own planet. And they, the, the bad guys, they say, worship the sky god. Well, who's the sky god? That's the father in heaven. That's the God of the Christians. And they're made to look really, really bad. Uh, they're they're uh, destroying everything. And that's what our world today is doing. When they talk about patriarchy, they want us to think that Christians who believe the Bible are not Christians, really. They're the patriarchy who follow this. I even saw this transgender woman, not really a woman, a man, calling herself a woman, calling her or himself a Christian and t talking against true Christians after the shooting in Nashville. The people that were wrong were not the woman who was shooting, but the people who tried to not, uh, tried to get her to go the other way, the Christians, her parents, uh, the people at the school that got shot. They were the ones that were in the wrong, not the shooter. And that's the way our world is going. And if you want to follow it, uh, that's, that's the way they're going. And it's against the scripture. Uh, we are called to not be conformed to that. To Paul said to his age, and it's interesting, his age was a lot like our age. Because in that day, Nero, who was uh, the emperor about the same time, he, Nero and Paul died about the same time. It's interesting. We don't know if Nero outlived Paul or Paul outlived Nero. It was probably Nero's order to kill Paul, but Nero killed himself maybe before he actually killed Paul, and we don't know which way it went. But Nero had a boy named Sporus who looked like his wife that he murdered. He castrated this boy named Sporus, and made the boy into his wife. And uh, when they were married, all the Roman worshipers who were worshiping the Roman gods and goddesses uh, wished them many children. <laughs> this boy who was castrated in Nero. Then, she, then Nero also had a man that was his husband. Uh, so what's new? <laughs> This is the way they, they were. And they worshipped all sorts of things other than the true God. But the second part of this passage says, in my second point, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, our denomination, our two most popular ministers, uh, both took uh, names for their ministry, their radio ministries, from this verse, Romans 12, 2. It's interesting. James Kennedy named his ministry Truths That Transform. Uh, and that's based on this word that says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And R.C. Sproul named his ministry Renewing Your Mind. So it's interesting, too. You know, uh, James D. Kennedy's maybe not quite as, as famous as R.C. Sproul is at this point. But at one point, with his evangelism explosion, uh, they say that evangelism explosion ministry uh, won many more to Christ than Billy Graham uh, because it was so spread to so many churches and, and used so, so much. And so he had quite a huge ministry, and it, he was on TV and the radio, and R.C. Sproul uh, is the, was a little younger, and both of them are past now. Uh, both of them are in heaven with the Lord. But it's, it was interesting to me that this verse is one, the one verse, Romans 12, 2, they both named their ministry after this. One's was truths that transformed, and the other was renewing your mind. Now the Bible is God's word and does have the power to transform us and renew our minds, and not only our minds, but our entire lives. Psalm 1, I think, says basically the same things as Romans 12, Romans 12 too, and it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It warns us about these wrong ways to go, to to not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners. And so it does the same thing. It says, do not be conformed to the world. And then uh, the second part, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates in it day and night. And so we see that the, the godly person is day and night. They're constantly in God's word. Not just in the morning, but when they wake up in the middle of the night, they can lift up their Bible and start reading because that's what they want to do. And it says about this person, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season. And you know, a tree is a, a, a living thing and it is fruitful and it is stable. And it's a tree planted, which means it's cared for. And God is the one that cares for the person who's always in the word. But he says the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff that are driven away. And we see this, the chaff, what's chaff? It's dry, it's lifeless, and it's not stable. It's blown away, blown away in the wind. And the rest of the passage, you can read it there in the, in the, in the notes if you want. When we study scripture, then take it to heart and obey it. We are transformed into new creatures, into the image of God. Uh, as, as I quoted before without the verses, if you look in your notes now, they're here, here. Ephesians 4, 24, and that you put on the new man, which was created in, according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And then the other verse, Colossians 3, 10, and have put on the new man that, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And so how are we renewed in the image of God? Well, in knowledge, when we have God's word, 
we have the knowledge of God and we grow in that knowledge. Animals don't have that, uh, but, but we, we do. And then in righteousness, Christ died for us and his righteousness is imputed to us to start with. And then as we're sanctified by God's Holy Spirit, our own righteousness You'll remember what, remember what Jesus says at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom. And he says, unless your righteousness. Obviously, part of that is that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us and it's counted as ours. But then also the Holy Spirit makes us, as we grow in Christ, more and more righteous. And then holiness uh, which is being set apart for the Lord. And that's probably the main thing here in this passage because we're not conformed to the world, but we're, we're transformed and we're, we're, we're made more and more to be God's people, which makes us different, which makes us go against the flow. We were created by God, male and female, with God-given roles and abilities. For instance, a woman can give birth to a baby and a man cannot. Yet according to modern woke science, and this is what this passage is talking about, the things of our age, uh, a man can have a baby. And it's even starting to be written into laws, I don't know if they've passed yet or not, that to protect a man uh, who thinks he's a woman, that he has a right to abortion. It's part, it's a law that's actually written. If you doubt me, I can actually bring it to you and show it to you. Uh, they are teaching young children in, their, in the schools that they can change their gender and, hospi- and, and the hospitals back to schools. And even today, a, a child, will, they'll try to win them over uh, to say that you're not a boy, you're not a girl, or you're whatever you're not, you, uh, you, whatever you are, you're not. And then they'll take them to a hospital and have them uh, give them a sex change. And parents often cannot stop it. Because if the parents try to stop it, they're the ones that are the abusers, not the people who are doing this to children. And so this is the kind of thing we're battling against. According to God's word, human beings were created in God's image and are to, are, are to, have, are, are to be fruitful and multiply. I think I worded that wrong and have dominion over nature. We can't be fruitful and multiply if as children we're, we're cutting our parts off. Uh, and that's a battle with Satan. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the opposite of population control and the cry for abortion and euthanasia and suicide that are so prevalent today among uh, the ungodly. And Proverbs 14.12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The ungodly, to the ungodly, death is a solution. Evolution, abortion, euthanasia, they're all examples. Evolution is the whole idea of the survival of the fittest. Meaning if you could kill everybody off, you're the one that deserves to live. And we're getting more that way all the time. Dominion over nature is the opposite of worshiping the earth, promoted by the global warming climate change, worship Mother Earth rather than Father God religion. Uh, Every house, every tall building, every city, cars, roads, farms, 
raising cows and chickens for milk and, and eggs, all of this is considered man's dominion and it's considered evil by the ungodly. Uh, global warming folks are more and more, I've seen them on TV saying, eat bugs, eat the insects or on the internet. Uh, they're promoting this more and more and you bet the leaders in that group will not be eating insects. They will be eating cobra beef, but they will want all us to eat insects to save, to save the earth. They're already doing these kind of things in China. Uh, and it's, it's not good. Lastly, third point, think, think, think. Be humble about your own mind and progress. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And I believe Romans 12.3 is speaking differently than Romans 12.2. Romans 12.3 first tells us not to be, 12.2 says not to be conformed to the world and says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what I've talked about already. But this verse is talking to those who are already starting to study the scripture. Uh, they're not conforming to the world. And Paul, I believe, he uses the word think three times in this verse. Uh, I, I think in the, verse, in the version I have, it only mentions two times. Oh, no, three times. Uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. Uh, ought to think, that's two. And but to think soberly, and the reputation of think is is even when it's used in different ways means think, think, think. And Paul is emphasizing that here, and specifically, uh, he is telling us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And so the idea of getting proud, and he talks about this in other places. First Corinthians eight one. Uh, basically is talking about uh, how some would eat the meat offered to idols because they knew the idol was nothing and they could get the meat for cheaper. But there were some people uh, in the group that thought, they're eating meat offered to idols. I can't do that. How could they do that? And so Paul says knowledge puffs up because the person who knows very well that the idol is nothing he goes and he wants to show off his knowledge that this idol is nothing, so he buys the meat offered to idols right in front of the person who, who is scandalized by it. And he says, hey, look at this sandwich I'm eating. I got it for half price. And the poor guy who, who is scared about it says, oh, but you're, you're, you're eating food offered to idols. You're going to be lost and you're in trouble. And Paul says love edifies. Love is not going to do that kind of thing. And so here, basically, he's saying we should not think, you know, this is a trap that the devil gets us into. We, we get certain knowledge, even from Scripture, and we start thinking too highly of ourselves. Uh, we become know-it-alls instead of uh, people who have knowledge but use it for the service of the church. And he says that's a danger uh, because when we should be gentle, we become those who are waving their fingers at people. And, and being the wrong way. Even with non-believers, Peter, 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone 
who ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When he says give a defense, that means he means to be ready to argue for your faith, uh, to be strong, to know, know your faith well enough that when somebody challenges you, you can argue for it. But then he tells us how to argue with meekness and fear, not with haughtiness, not with arrogance, but even when we're dealing with somebody who's challenging our faith, we do it with meekness, which is you know, a, a kind of humility and fear, meaning not necessarily a fear of that person, but a fear of God, because we could be sinning while we're trying to do something good uh, by being arrogant. We should also be meek, humble about our knowledge, because none of us have arrived. We all have room to grow, and we all can learn. Uh, the second part of this verse, it says, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. That means that each one of us has something else to give, uh, something else to say. Uh, and I could say one thing to, to you all that I've learned from Scripture, but that doesn't mean that you don't have your part in the church because God has dealt each one of us a measure of faith and that measure of faith, if we're true believers, it's always important to the church. Some people are gifted in different ways. Some people's measure of faith might be bigger than others, but that doesn't mean the other person doesn't have it. And we all respect each other uh, for those things. Paul himself, in Philippians 3.12 and 14, says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, why would Paul, who was so knowledgeable as he was, and scripture says he was caught up to the third heaven and he had to give, be given a thorn in the flesh because he had such revelations that they might make him haughty if he wasn't in pain all the time. Uh, why does Paul not attained? How is he not already uh, perfected? Well, one of the things is I think Paul had a vision of Jesus and he wasn't comparing himself. And I talk about this a little that he wasn't comparing himself to an ungodly world. We all shine in front of an ungodly world. Uh, and he wasn't comparing himself to other believers because sometimes we shine in front of each other. One of us can pick out something that we all excel one of the others with. Uh, and we can always do that. But when we compare ourselves to Christ... That's where we come to the bright sun that shows us all our dark spots that we are sinners, uh, that we have failed. Uh, according to Scripture, uh, when we're in front of the ungodly world, Philippians 2.15, Paul says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And in this day, even as sinful as we might be, with as bad as they are, we still shine because Christ is in us. Uh, when we compare to each other, each one has been dealt a measure of faith, but we're not to compare to each other. 
that might make us proud if we, if we excel another person. But if we compare ourselves to Christ, we will be humble. Because uh, none of us do. The Apostle Paul knew he had not attained. He was pursuing the high call, the prize to be conformed to Christ's image. And he knew that, at least not on this earth, he was not there. But he kept, he pressed on, he said, for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. To really know soberly what we should be, we compare ourselves to Christ. And this will humble us so that we can continue to grow. It says in Psalm 25, 9, the humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. In the King James, it's the meek who he guides in justice and the meek who he teaches his way. Uh, and here the, the verse, the, the actual word I think could be either one because uh, I know at least the word in, in, in Greek and I think in Hebrew both uh, for humble and meek, uh, those words can contain both. Uh, to be humble and to be meek are very similar different words Uh, but both of them apply to us when we're seeking to grow to meek means meek has more to do with our obedience we're ready to be obedient because we know what what God tells us uh, is best for us whereas being humble means we don't think too much of ourselves we know that we are weak. We know that we have needs. We need, we need God to help us. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage uh, in Romans 12, 2 and 3, which tells us not to be conformed to an ungodly world and also tells us to think, 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 and also not to think highly, uh, more highly than we should, but it tells us to think soberly, uh, which is the way we should and when we when we look at Christ we have to think soberly about ourselves because we none of us are on that level at least we won't be until probably until we get to heaven and so father we thank you that you do you call us to that high calling to be like Christ even though it takes all our all to do it uh, we strive for it but we know we won't reach it and at least not here on earth And yet we pray you'd help us to be perfect, to be like Christ as much as we can, that we might shine in the world and that we might encourage and help each other. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.